Welcome to the 10X Growth Podcast. I'm Jake Burns, Enterprise Strategist at AWS, and I'll be the guest host for this episode. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Ram Parasaraman, Head of Product Management and Growth at Cohesity. Today, we're going to discuss the book, Thinking in Systems by Danella Meadows. Ram, great to see you again. Hey, great to be here, Jake. So maybe we could start off and just tell the audience a little bit about your background, uh, a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. So I lead uh, product management for our data management portfolio here at Cohesity. Uh, for those that are not familiar with Cohesity, uh, we are the next generation data management company that allows enterprises to manage data throughout its life cycle, right? So right from when it's created, uh, how it's used to, you know, when it needs to get analyzed all the way to when, you know, it, its useful life comes to an end and gets destroyed, right? Um, mm. We have a bunch of cloud services uh, that we are delivering as SaaS that help customers manage their data and shine their light into the dark data, what to say, because there's a lot of data in today's world and Coincity just makes it easy to manage that data. So that's a little bit about myself, uh, lead product management here, and you know, have been working on engineering and product management roles for a better part of the last two decades. So that's a bit about me. Got it, great. So um, how did you hear about this book and was there anything specific that made you want to read it? Oh yeah, great question. Um, so we are at a stage where the company needs to scale, right? And my team personally needs to scale to many multiples of what it used to be. Uh, so one of my mentors recommended I read this book um, because in their words, it was kind of a systems level thinking that is required to help us scale uh, you know, from where we are to where we need to go. A lot of the tidbits of the book that uh, uh, this mentor mentioned uh, reminded me of you know, an academic subject I took back in my bachelor's um, that had to do with control systems and systems theory. So I was a bit intrigued and that kind of spiked my interest in the book um, and reading it, it turned out to be just that. Right, so the subject of the book is uh, systems thinking. Um, so maybe you could describe what exactly that is and uh, why, why should the audience care? Why, why is it important? Uh, yeah, so a lot of what we see today, we live in this information economy where there is data everywhere and, you know, there is all kinds of signals you see, you know, starting with the stock market, for example, where you see the performance of a given company or, you know, in your own teams or companies, you may see, uh, you know, various indicators and metrics uh, that people look at and respond to. This is kind of the output or the result of what has happened. It's kind of uh, this lagging indicator, if you will. But what is very exciting and interesting is really what leads to that output or that outcome. This is what many uh, folks don't recognize, uh, right? Is there is a bunch of different things that goes into generating any any outcome. Let's say the stock is doing great or not so well, or you know your favorite sports team has done excellently. Yesterday we saw Pat Mahomes do excellently for Kansas City. Those are results, right? Those are results that are generated due to a set of inputs, you know, things that you provide, as well as things that happen, uh, right? And this is where systems thinking helps you understand what are those input parameters? What are those dynamics? What are the different shifts? What does the team have to do uh, to generate that outcome? Uh, how might that outcome be influenced to, to be different based on any one of these things, both the inputs as well as the result you're trying to achieve? That is really important, right? Because if you want to change the outcome or if you want to uh, achieve a certain goal, you need to understand what goes into achieving that goal, and therefore you'll be in a better position to be able to influence that outcome or to better position yourself, no matter what that outcome yeah. looks like. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because most people like to focus on the outputs, like have a goal-oriented mindset. But if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying pay attention to the inputs and measure the inputs as well. Oh uh, yes, totally. So let's say uh, you know uh, you and I have worked on projects, uh, Jake. Uh, 
let's say that you want to deliver a certain project for a customer and say that this project has a bunch of different requirements from the customer or the market and you know you want to kind of deliver that to the customer within a certain time what you have in your hand is kind of your requirements you have kind of when the customer is expecting it by and then you also kind of know what it takes to deliver this uh, let's say a feature or a or a service but what you need to bake into account to know whether you know certain features can be delivered or you know whether a strategy that you're devising uh, for a given market is achievable is your uh, kind of set of resources your people and you know what are the other things that are going on at that time so these are things that you would take into account um, into that process to be able to know whether a you can deliver a certain service to the customer and b when you would deliver it by if you just looked at it in terms of milestones and did not take into account what goes into generating those outputs i think you may either under or overestimate um, you know when you might deliver that by uh, does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. It actually reminds me a lot of some of the ways we think about these things at Amazon. If you ask for good intentions, you're not asking for a change. People generally have good intentions already. You need to focus on the systems or the mechanisms, as we call them, behind the results that you're getting and focus on those. Has there been any examples in your personal or professional career that you could think of where you've used these concepts, reviewed systems thinking in particular, and has helped you achieve a goal or solve a problem? Uh, yes. So uh, let's take a very common example. Um, you know, the world of product management, uh, planning for features and sprints is pretty common, right, in the world of SaaS. Um, so in our case, we run two-week sprints. Uh, and then in order to deliver a certain set of features, much to my earlier example, um, you know, kind of one of the things that goes into uh, determining the output of the system is to know uh, what has been your historic uh, kind of burn down rate, right? So if you're counting story points, for example, Jake, um, you want to know what your squads are capable of achieving in a two-week sprint. And then you're, you're roughly sizing your effort and breaking it down and figuring out if your uh, squads can actually hit that rate, um, right? And what are some of the... So that's that's kind of a simple system, right? Where you have some input that you put in, in terms of, uh, you know, your squads uh, work, um, their typical rate of achieving that work, and the normal output you can get from it, right? Very simple input-output equation. Now, to right. add the twist to it, Jake, I mean, systems are seldom that simple, right? Okay, hey, my squads can achieve whatever, 40 or 80 points a week, so 160. Feature is a uh, 320, so, you know, it takes me two sprints to do. Pretty simple, right? Um, but do we see, live in that sort of a simple world? Um, rarely ever so, right? Um, because you may be at a time when you've just launched a new feature or a service, so your incoming field issues or customer inquiries uh, may affect some of the output from your teams, right? And... Um, how do you factor that in, um, right? And what part of your capacity needs to get reserved, right? So these are all kind of holistic concepts that you bake in, uh, not just based on your past, uh, you know, kind of rate at which you've been able to hit, but also add this context of, you know, what it is that your squad is facing uh, presently based on features you've released, um, you know, other situations you may have with your customers, uh, things of that sort. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So in this example, how are you solving this problem using systems thinking that is different than kind of traditional problem solving? Oh uh, yeah. So one of the things you realize uh, when you read the book, as well as if you're uh, applying these principles in a certain while is in order to influence the outcome, you have to basically ensure uh, that the system uh, is set up for that output, right? It's not about, uh, you know, adding uh, more manpower in this case or cutting out the distractions it's not one or the other it's about a set of interactions right a set of things that influence the outcome of the system 
um, that that you you have to intervene at the right times, right? So you have to ensure that you're um, uh, applying the right set of constraints, you're applying the right set of uh, buffers, and kind of influencing that output. So let me give you one example. First of all, aligning the uh, the incentives, aligning the goals, aligning the purpose for that sprint is is super important because that way all incentives for everyone contributing to that sprint are well known in advance and everyone is operating towards that same mindset. If that's not clear, what had happened in the past is you'd be putting together two things, two squads together, and they may not all be operating with the same uh, goals in mind. And there is this conflict that kind of uh, inherent to any large organization or small, right? There is always this um, healthy conflict between the goals. If they're not aligned, one of the things you realize is the output is not quite additive, right? You want to make one plus one goes three. Uh, aligning around the same goals is number one. The second thing is kind of ensuring that there is a proper flow of information. Uh, so literally, it's about uh, ensuring everyone has the same access to information that is required to operate. So for example, if there is a squ one squad that's dependent on another, you want to ensure that these guys are perfectly in sync and the information is flowing freely. Otherwise, there are delays, right, as we read in the book, as there is in real life as well. And those delays can tend to influence your output, right? So just being aware um, that information flows uh, need to uh, need to be open and you know any delays or any of these uh, issues you want to be, get ahead of and be able to uh, provide that information so that the organization as such learns from it so in this example the organization itself is a system and then your process your project management process is a system within that system as well and it sounds like you're architecting these systems in such a way looking at not just each individual part but looking at how the interplay between them absolutely and this this again goes back to uh, understanding and uncovering some of these dependencies, uh, which is where I think I go back to one of the things that AWS is good at, which is working backwards from an outcome. So that's why when you align the goals and when you identify uh, what the system is trying to achieve, in this case, that sprint is trying to achieve, um, understanding as much about it, understanding those linkages between different parts of the organization that needs to come together, uh, right? Understanding the dependencies on some of the downstream systems, such as your GTM, uh, teams or some of your uh, QA teams, maybe even sooner. So just uncovering some of these dependencies helps you set up that system uh, for better information flows. So the delays are kept to a minimum, or even if there are delays, um, you know, you're you're baking in that, uh, that information you get uh, down the line. So let's say uh, there is a press release that's planned uh, based on this output, and the output is not quite tracking to what it was. There is less surprises along the way when the information channel is kept open. You know, and it sounds a lot like what you're describing is modern software development with multiple threads and microservice architecture and that sort of thing. Ensuring each piece doesn't block, ensuring that there's information flow between everything so that it operates more smoothly and more quickly. We can all remember back in the day, old Windows 3.1, you have to be of a certain age to remember that. When one program would hang and the whole computer would hang, what you're describing sounds like designing a system more like today's modern computing, at least when it's working well, where you know one part of it can be disrupted and the rest of it can continue to operate. That would be in systems thinking vocabulary, that'd be a resilient system. Yes, absolutely. So I think it's funny you mentioned uh, Windows uh, 3.1. Maybe I'm a bit too old for that, but Windows 95 was known. <laughs> but but you're right. Um, I think when it comes to, especially when you're building uh, SaaS services, uh, a lot of which are delivered in your uh, in your words as microservices, uh, it's about knowing uh, you know which parts uh, of the system can be developed independently from the other, um, because there's different ways you can organize uh, teams as well. In our case, we organize teams as squads. Um, squads can run independently to an extent, but they always need to come back up to integrate 
uh, with the rest of the system, right? And that's kind of just understanding how these pieces fit is crucial to organizing the system to be able to learn from these delays and to be able to uh, be resilient, exactly as it's mentioned in the book, right? So right. to be resilient from these shocks and and still trend to the output, right? I think that goes. Yeah. Uh, and and how do you bake this into the next sprint, right? How do you now uh, prevent those delays or reduce those delays even more? Uh, right. So kind of those things. Uh, start start becoming a natural practice when you start operating it. Now, if it's a lot of theory, of course, a lot of it won't make sense. But as mm-hmm. you apply these based on some common set of metrics and goals that people are marching toward, it just becomes natural practice, right? Initially, it was a bit difficult. Um, but once you start applying and once you start understanding the power of these things and what that might have uh, prevented, I think that starts becoming more natural. And you mentioned something just there that I think is super important that kind of stuck in my mind when I was reading the book. By the way, I'm almost finished with it. I haven't quite finished it yet, but uh, I tried to do it all on a weekend, but uh, almost got there. But you talked about how the pieces fit together. And that was kind of a one of the themes that uh, I remember from early in the book describing systems, placing more importance on how the pieces work together than making each individual piece perfect. So like the idea of thinking in systems would be understanding how everything works together and placing more emphasis on that. Yeah, I think the the important thing there, uh, Jake, is uh, the level of zoom right uh, you're you're in uh, because you can go crazy and zoom into one component of the system, and that itself may look like an interplay between multiple systems. Uh, but the context matters, right? And kind of you have to zoom out to the right level to know at what uh, level of outcome you're tracking to. There are multiple examples in the book, uh, ranging from the oil economy uh, to the stock market, and a bunch of other examples they give. Um, but I think that what's most crucial is uh, you zooming in to the right level um, at which you want that system to be at or to operate at. Um, otherwise, exactly as you mentioned, you could go and over-optimize one part of the system, which will operate uh, at a much, uh, you know, I don't want to say faster or slower here, but there would be an impedance mismatch between these different components where one is over-perfected and the other one is just right to work with these components, right. optimize for speed and such. So I think that level of zoom becomes important in kind of the context um, uh, is, is super crucial, right? And that's why everyone having the same definition of that system and looking at the system the same way is is very important when you're working with multiple stakeholders that contribute to that system. Yeah, definitely. That, that's an interesting point from the book, the level of zoom. You can fix problems at one level, zoom out and see different problems, zoom in and see different problems. And most people, they're always looking at the problem with the same zoom level and they never think to kind of zoom out and zoom in. Let me ask you about, because you mentioned this a little earlier, and this was a major theme of the book, reinforcing loops, feedback systems. Can you describe briefly what those are in systems thinking and why they're important? How and why do they occur? Oh uh, yeah, this is a uh, this is one of the crucial uh, things that you understand when you first start learning about systems. You realize that there is always this connection between your inputs, outputs, and future outputs. So this is about you know kind of reinforcement. So something that you generate as output. Uh, so let's say you've delivered a project, you've delivered multiple services. One of the things you reinforce for yourself here is your own credibility and your team's ability to deliver such services. You know, this is kind of a positive reinforcement in the sense of experience that you develop, you know, any access, any dimension, any project kind of helps you deliver future such projects with greater ease, kind of goes into economies of scope, as they call it. These are always, we always go towards a certain goal and, you know, there is a anything that positively leads you towards that goal or helps you achieve that goal faster is a positive reinforcement uh, to that goal. So kind of, any anything from a past, the easiest way to mention this is you've done a few things in the past and they help you achieve uh, you know better results in the future. That's kind of like a positive reinforcement. Um, and this is kind of a positive feedback loop. Um, whereas when things are going down, um, you, we call this a downward spiral in certain cases. We call this a, 
a negative reinforcement uh, where things start you know going towards this collapse that's like a runaway uh, train right i mean there is it's a train wreck and it starts going down so reinforcement can be on the positive side when it leads to exponential growth better results or faster outcomes or on the negative side it starts leading towards a runaway collapse if you will these are these are two ways it could go you always figure out uh, that feedback is you know as for people as well for systems it's always based on information that's delivered to the system itself and one of the most important things with feedback is it cannot change your past um and you know it can only go and influence the future outcomes right um if that makes sense right we all have you know 360 feedback that we get from our mentors um others in the team that's all used to do things better in the future based on some things we have done in the past if you learn from it you do better if you keep doing what you did in the past it goes down faster if that makes right. sense Yeah, it totally makes sense. Sounds like a critical feature of systems. They have these loops, for good or bad, to self-regulate, to improve, but also, like you said, the downward spiral would be an example of, of a bad one. There's another concept in the book where I found kind of interesting, the drift to low performance. What is that exactly? This is a good one too. Uh so basically, this is kind of, you know, in layman terms, uh the best way to explain this is it's allowing uh, you know, allowing for lower standards, let's say. It's basically you saying okay i have observed the output of this system or this person or this this squad uh, in the sprint um and based on past performance you say okay future performance is likely to be the same or maybe a little lower so let's say uh, we all have these right we have some employees or you have some machines you may be running or you may have teams uh, that are uh, you know working at a certain level um and you know in planning uh, for the future of that team uh, you know kind of the goal you kind of set these okrs right these objectives and key results that are aiming at the same level or maybe marginally better um in which case you you're not likely to get the best outcome from that team that individual or that machine uh, this is what is referred to in the book as this drift to lower performance because the thinking there is um, you're not effectively using this reinforcing loop to get it to the positive outcome we spoke about this is you allowing for that downward spiral more or less uh into saying hey this machine or this uh, team uh, performs at a level that i i think is this uh let's say a few story points or you know based on uh, you know past delivery schedules we say okay it can deliver a certain outcome in this time frame and you're not willing to challenge that team to do better all uh, right and that allows the team that gives the team the luxury to perform at the current level mm-hmm. which in many cases due to other factors in the system uh some delays attrition what have you may perform even lower than the current level and if you remember this uh, you know some of the stepping curves uh, you know right if it goes down to this downward uh, facing staircase that team is on its way to getting down to zero or very low performance but uh, the way to avoid this or kind of to get away from this trap is to set these performance standards to be more absolute not related to performance it's in the past more towards you know kind of challenging them all right infusing them with some more expertise or to have the machine oiled a little better if you will that allows you to escape this path and maybe change direction to go the other way because if you allow yourself the standards that are not great then you're allowing yourself to settle into that sort of mediocrity or that level of performance and that's what kind of the book teaches us on how to use reinforcing loops uh, shift them up rather than down when it comes to performance right it sounds kind of like a some sort of perpetual compromise. <laughs> you set a standard at a certain level, people fail to achieve it and they say, "Well, okay, let's be reasonable and we'll cut the standard a little." And then you just keep doing that until it settles to where they're not really stretching anymore and they're kind of in their comfort zone and then uh kind of guaranteeing that growth won't occur at that point. 
yeah and this again you know we we talk a lot about failing fast uh, right it's about um, accepting the fact that you're not going to hit all the outcomes at all points but you know the best thing we can all aspire to be is kind of a little better version of ourselves the next day right and that holds for systems as well if we incrementally and marginally uh, lever up all right that's likely to lead to a much better performance than completely aiming for the unrealistic when things may fall even further right so it's about setting these realistic goals at every point when you may not hit 100% but that's okay um and you know you learn over time as to what the right level of output is and you keep challenging that level to get better right sounds like an interesting balance both reassessing and setting realistic goals but also not allowing yourself to fall into that trap of drifting lower there's got to be like an art and science to this yep absolutely and i think it's it again goes back to understanding uh, what drives that performance of the system in the first place right if the system right. is a person it's kind of what motivates them i mean uh, are those the right uh, motivators that uh, uh, right projects that motivate a person to perform at a better level is it uh, mm-hmm. uh, an expertise gap it's always either an expectation gap or an achievement gap mm-hmm. so uh, which one of it is it so it's just <laughs> the systems it's figuring out what is uh, it that needs the change rather than just stay you know kind of looking at the outcome um because the outcome is a result right i mean is the person burned out um are they right. sleeping enough There's so many things that go into peak performance um so if there is a lower performance what does it take to get that uh, person the system or the machine or whatever it is that we're working on uh, to a better state and that right. kind of this goes into understanding the system uh, changing the system itself by making necessary interventions changes tweaks what have you to be able to change that output um Right. that goes into learning right even from outside the system into understanding what what makes that system better right so at the end of the day we want to be able to affect change in a way that's more aligned with the outcomes that we want so when you're thinking in systems what are some approaches that you could take to affect change in the way that you want it so obviously trying harder isn't going to always do the trick throwing more resources at the problem i found only that sometimes that makes performance worse and makes it less likely to achieve your goal i'm a big fan of constraints uh in in certain circumstances but what are some of the tools that we can use to improve systems but that's an excellent question jake and i wish there was an easy answer for this one <laughs> but depending on it so basically we spoke a lot about the ways to influence the outcome from a system is to understand what goes into generating the outcome things that these complex interconnections between the inputs and the outputs uh, the feedback loops that we spoke about so i think just like any piece of code that we write right to understand it better one of the first thing that goes into it is sort of instrumenting it if you will right for lack of better word to get a better pulse of what's going on through the system kind of developing uh, better mechanisms to understand it a little better if it's uh, you know sprint we are talking about then kind of you know what are the what are the different ways we can learn about what gets delivered by which teams uh, which individuals who is at what impedance match with the rest of the system and kind of understanding it right so basically developing quantitative or qualitative instrumentation sort of to understand the system better kind of pay attention to the important things it's not about what you can measure not just about what you can measure and what you can improve or change it's also about understanding what what is truly important because if we just keep running the machine and not understand when it was last uh, sent for maintenance that that's not going to lead to a good outcome so that's that's right. an, an example of paying attention to everything that's important not just what you see in terms of metrics on those dashboards at a given point of time it's about going back right. going sideways understanding that and having access to information right we spoke about this so basically having feedback so no reinforcing feedback loop positive or negative is going to be useful unless the system or the team learns about these things so having that retrospective having that way to feedback the output right so when you ship a product or service it's very important for the teams to understand how well it was received 
or you know how much how many customers are adopted it or what was kind of what were some of the challenges that went into um, you know kind of onboarding on the service and things like that right so it's about not just shipping and forgetting and moving on to the next it's also about staying with the product giving that feedback back to the teams um, understanding what could have been done better how can how can you deliver an even more delightful service to the customer mm -hmm. things like that right so it's basically about embracing the system and its complexity to learn as much about it as you can and mm -hmm. to share information across the board um, make it available to everyone and care about everything that's important not just what you see on the on the metrics so you mentioned several times pay attention to the things that are important how do you know what's important and what isn't <laughs> that's great i think that's again goes back to learning right it goes back to you understanding uh, the system when the system is a person you understanding what is important uh, right for that person uh, you as a person yourself right what's under, uh, what's important for you uh, what's important for our customers right. uh, delightful experiences not always quantifiable but nonetheless one of the most important things that go into brand loyalty uh, right um, things work life balance will create a much higher level of output than you may see from the metrics now kind of the you spoke about this it's about the the right amount of money to throw at the problem or the right number of people to throw at the problem that doesn't overwhelm the system due to coordination complexity and otherwise what's most important is it cost is it time is it speed what it what is it so i think working with the system those are things that get you into understanding that uh, what's important there and and paying attention so i think yeah. you look for these cues both quantifiable cues as well as qualitative cues uh, that are super important to keeping those systems going. Mm -hmm. It sounds like there's a, some part retrospective analysis, some part observation, real-time observation, and also some part experimentation. Experiment and then observe, and then kind of see what the results are and then iterate on that. And that would be kind of a feedback loop within the system that can improve it. Oh yeah, that's absolutely right. And no better example uh, than SaaS services for this one, right? Because we ship often, uh, we iterate, we learn from customer feedback. Um, we give the feedback back to the teams, and then we we kind of change the next time round, right? Um, the beautiful thing about positively reinforcing feedback loops is the more information that is fed back to the loop, the shorter the learning curve becomes. The more often you ship, the more often you get it in front of customers. The more you learn from them, the more data points you have uh, to um, uh, to you know kind of improve that system and that loop uh, even faster, right. right? Whereas if you wait right. for the perfect product. Um, I think you 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 can ship and you learn when you ship, but then your next time this is where uh, you know SaaS systems outshine some of the on-prem uh, software, right? Which is basically you're always continuously learning by offering that service, operating it, you're putting yourself on the customer's shoes, and you learn uh, you know what it takes for them to operate it, and you get better. Right. And that that last point I really like that because this is something we talk about a lot at Amazon becoming high frequency, shipping more often, like maybe smaller releases, but more often to get that feedback flowing on a continual basis rather than having to wait for that big bang, which may happen once a year, twice a year. Yeah, that, that just makes a lot of sense. You would learn more quickly, iterating faster. Yeah, and and to your point on this uh, performance drift, even if you don't do so well, um, that's something that you can challenge the teams to do better the next time. And, you know, it kind of uh, helps you correct course faster uh, than take a long time uh, and mm -hmm. cause disappointment. Uh, I think so right. it works both ways. Uh, that's the beauty of this learning fast and iterating um, I think that, that uh, honestly, the cloud and SaaS have given us that opportunity. Right. It also lowers the cost of failure because if you have this one big, huge release and it doesn't work, then it's a catastrophe. But if you have maybe hundreds of small releases in that same time period, if something goes wrong in one of them, it's it, it's a learning experience rather than uh, the end of the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. You nailed it there. Yeah. Excellent. So we've covered a lot, but is there anything specific from the book that maybe we haven't covered that you think is important for our audience? The one thing I think worth mentioning is this uh, concept of bounded rationality. It's about everyone operating with the amount of information they have. 
So I think the book, you get this example of the fishermen, you know, fishing without really knowing how, how many fish are still left out there. So this imperfect knowledge, I think that fits very well into the concept we spoke about, which is iterating fast and shipping uh, more often. You don't really know whether, you know, your product has quite hit the mark of where the customer needs it to be. But by shipping often, what you've helped yourself do is to gain more information about the outcome that you want to achieve uh, relative to what you had when you started. So I think that's the other thing that it helps. Uh, so kind of you limit the impact due to this bounded rationality or the concept of not having enough information by being able to get out there, you know, sniffing for the outcome, learning more and adjusting accordingly. So what are the key takeaways? Are there two or three points that we can summarize for the audience? Yeah, for me, one of the things is systems are everywhere in anything that you do, uh, maybe just as a person with yourself, with your teams, with your companies, with your customers, or your countries, uh, at any level, there are systems. The way you are able to observe them, are, they will depend on your uh, perspective, the context and other factors. But as you read this book, uh, you will start becoming more sensitized to some of these things as to what some of the inputs are, what are the outcomes, some of these things we spoke about in the show, like feedback loops, um, these things become, uh, it shapes your mind a little differently, right? But the fact is that systems are ubiquitous, they're everywhere. Um, the second one for me is this uh, concept we just spoke about, which is information is king, right, for a system. So any information about the output uh, that you can reinforce, provide back into the system, think of it as dividend reinvestment, right? It's almost like a, a compounding, has a compounding effect on the mm -hmm. system itself. It basically helps you improve, um, you know, based on information you're getting from that outcome. This could be customer feedback. It could be, uh, you know, some metrics that you have, uh, both qualitative, quantitative, just feeding it back to the system just has a compounding effect, hopefully positive, but also sometimes negative. That kind of helps you adjust, adapt, and gives you this opportunity to get the system to generate a better outcome uh, the next time around. Um, right? And the last one is really about that unless you understand the system and what goes into that system um, and uh, the interworkings between the system components, it's very hard to influence the outcome. So a good deep understanding of the system, how they work, the components work with each other, and uh, kind of understand uh, how these go into generating that output is super crucial to changing the outcome or the output from the system. Just putting new people into the same projects with the same systems intact uh, rarely ever generates a different or better outcome in the long run. It's about you need to change the system, right? You need to change the way it works or the way it operates, the components operate with each other to be able to generate a different outcome. This goes into taking feedback, into operating with uh, different assumptions, understanding more of the requirements, working backwards from the outcomes, all the things that we spoke about. I think it goes into changing those systems, keeping these information flows going and adjusting as you need to get a different outcome. Otherwise, right. land up with the same result uh, more than once. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so Ram, really appreciate you being on the podcast. It was a great conversation. Thank you for being here. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Jake. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And the book again, it's Thinking in Systems by Tanala Meadows. 